And I, I totally buy that there will be a $15,000 Tesla. I totally buy that. Uh, that <laughs> the, so you were talking no about- No one can about, see that he's rolling his eyes. This is why we should have video with our podcast. Have you seen the price drops in the last like three weeks? Uh, yeah, but uh, those are just eating into their margins. Once once uh, you know you run out of your, your 20% gross margin, then what? You're going to start selling them at a loss and make them up on volume? I don't think so. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer, the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association. And, you know, I'll be keep it short today. Wow. The shortest title ever. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor over at TechCrunch. And it's been a minute. We've had a busy summer. I mean, we definitely recorded in August, but it's been a while since we've gotten together. And I think that you all have had a few adventures. Ed, you... You were on your annual cross-country trip, the, the trip that we always threatened to bring Alex on, but never happens. Yeah. It's not really overlanding. Yeah. Um, just oh, really? I don't know, really just driving around in the backwoods of Idaho. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> Freedom. Uh, and were, were you driving an EV? You know, there were not a lot of EV chargers out where I was. Um, no, okay. I was I was burning some old-fashioned gasoline in my Toyota Tacoma. Okay. Um, it's okay, Alex, but, um, Alex, then you were at an event recently and a little bit of a different type of vibe and yeah. a different scene. Where were you? Well, I was, um, at the, uh, Florida autonomous vehicles conference run by our, uh, friend, uh, Senator, former Senator, state Senator Jeff Brandis, which was as always one of the best events of the year. And, uh, wait, I'm not supposed to shill my, my, my. My business, right? I was there representing Johnson & Roy Consultants and Advisors, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Um, it was fantastic, um, mostly because Riley Brennan showed up and interviewed our favorite person ever, ARK Investments, Kathy Wood. And that was alternately uh, fa- inspiring or maddening, depending on whether you're Kirsten Korosek or Ed Niedermeyer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, what category are you putting me? I don't, I don't. Yeah, I was saying, so Kirsten, so you, so you're inspired by her pronouncement. <laughs> no. If I, if I remember correctly, she said in this interview that Tesla would be coming out with a fifteen thousand dollar vehicle, like within the next like ten years or something. What I meant by that is that it would inspire Kirsten to dig in using her amazing journalism skills and uh, see what's true. And in Ed's case, it would just lead to just endless curses and tweets. Ah, <laughs> yes. Um, so what did she actually say? I mean, I, I was at a, an event last year in which she was interviewed on stage. Um, and she was at the up summit and it was much of what I've seen her or heard her say on when she's been on CNBC or whatever. Um, did she say anything new here? I mean, we know she's super bullish, um, with Tesla and is very forward looking with that company, but did she say anything specifically around autonomous vehicles? That didn't well, for Tesla. Oh, uh, well, she said it's going to be winner, winner, singular, takes most. Uh, she has a very, I, I find, um, s- peculiar way of describing like just autonomous vehicles in general. She just calls it the autonomous, which is an mm. interesting kind of a semantic choice. And um, she seems to think that Tesla is going to run away with this. It's a purely a data play between Dojo and massive data gathering. Tesla's going to be the winner and they're going to take most. Uh, the 
notion that anyone else could possibly be gathering similar data at scale, for example, a mobile eye or someone else, does not seem to factor in at all, at all, at all. And I, I mean, we think we all know this. Besides mobile eye, there's other people gathering data. That's so interesting to me because just on that point a little bit, because it's as if, and she isn't the only one, first of all, all data is not created equally and what you do with that data, it matters. Um, but secondly, like cameras and sensors have been on vehicles and uh, mobile is a perfect example of this on numerous models and vehicle, you know, makers and models for years. So this isn't a new idea or a new concept yet it is a, another example of some, do, something that Tesla does being presented as such. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, we would have to spend a whole episode just on this topic to dig into it, but it, it just doesn't seem to factor in that companies like Cruise and Waymo, who are focused on, you know, boiling the, uh, a kettle, are more likely to make tea than someone trying to boil the ocean is to make tea when it comes to deploying an actual service. And so I just don't buy winner takes most. I buy winners take most, and they will take different pieces of it. Well, maybe simultaneously. I was in a conversation with someone at dinner at FAV. They're like, well, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, well, the the big stack companies, Waymo, Cruise, Motional, uh, they need to bring down the cost of their hardware. Um, at the same time, that Tesla needs to increase actually the uh, demonstrable safety of their, uh, of their uh, technology. And those lines are going to cross at some point. And at the cross point, the pie will start getting cut up. And urban robotaxi will probably go to the companies that have really specialized, as specialization is increasingly obvious that that's going to be the name of the company. The companies that that become profitable will be specializing, and Tesla will be on the other side of that. I don't know exactly at what point they will be, but I imagine privately owned vehicles capable of any autonomy uh, will be a smattering of cars from Ford uh, and GM and a whole bunch of Teslas. But none of those will be in the robotaxi game. So it's interesting to me. Uh, apparently, uh, she said uh, she, she told Riley Brennan, uh, according to a tweet that Riley made. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the interview. But he said that in my discussion with Kathy, she said her team is modeling a fifteen thousand dollar Tesla by twenty thirty, which is interestingly enough also what Kathy Wood said one share of Tesla would be worth by twenty thirty back in twenty twenty. So that's on a pre split basis. But I think that's kind of a funny thing to think about. By twenty thirty, you have fifteen thousand dollars. You can buy either a Tesla or one share of Tesla. Uh, but and I, I totally buy that there will be a fifteen thousand dollar Tesla. I totally buy it. Okay. Uh, that <laughs> the so you were talking no about. No one can about, see that he's rolling his eyes. This is why we should have video with our podcast. Have you seen the price drops in the last like three weeks? Uh, yeah, but, uh, those are just eating into their margins. Once, once, uh, you know, you run out of your, your 20% gross margin, then what you're going to start sell them at a loss and make them up on volume. I don't think so. But anyway, th that's neither here nor there. We're talking about autonomous vehicles and, and particularly you bring up a good point about whether or not sort of the, this pie will be, how many, how many slices of pie will it be at, at, at the table in this sort of autonomous market of the future, and I think you, you bring up some good points. Like I, I think you've argued for a long time, very cogently, that this is not a winner-take-all thing. And and I think you know, longtime listeners of the show have some good understanding of why. The other question, though, is is also like, okay, so you know, we can talk about how many slices 
uh, there's going to be of this pie, but how big is the pie and how soon does the pie get to what size are also really, really big questions. And here too, like, and here's the thing with Kathy Wood is like, you know, um, obviously when it comes to, you know, being right about what Tesla stock is going to do, like her record has been fairly good, but, but, and like, and like, you know, there's obviously, I think, you know, her whole mode is, you know, bullishness sort of being the most bullish voice sort of attracts the other bulls to you, which can kind of create the self-reinforcing thing. But like at a certain point, if you're just uber bullish about everything, things start to get absurd. And I think actually, I, I think you can have an interesting debate about how the slices of the autonomous market get, get, get chopped up and, and divided and who gets how much of, of it. But she says here that autonomous taxi platforms, okay. So this is just robo taxi. This is not, all the value created by driving automation, just robotaxis, okay? Within five years of today, that the revenue will be between eight and $10 trillion within five years for robotaxis. And like, listen, like- Amazing, Like, like I would consider, you know- Where can I I invest? Where can I invest? Right. Oh yeah, that's right. I can't hold any stock. Tesla. <laughs> yeah, just buy more Tesla stock because that'll solve all your problems. Uh, well, <laughs> lucky for me, my company policy doesn't allow me to hold any stock in any in any um, uh, company in, in the industry I cover. So I I get to thwart that whole thing. Um, I had a question for both of you though. You talk about like size of the market and what it might look like, and um. I don't think it'll be anywhere close to five eight trillion or whatever the number crazy number was in five years. But let's say five years from now, as it matures a little bit, but is still definitely in growth mode. Do you think that it's going to look a lot like how the ride hailing market settled out, which is uh, Uber and Lyft became the major players, but now like it's been a while. I see all these little startups kind of popping up. I don't know if they're making money. Or is it going to be more reflective of, let's say, the um, car sales marketplace, which is super fragmented, many players, some big ones, but very regionally specific, but lots of players, you know, super fragmented. Uh, I mean, you're t- you're, are you just talking about the robotaxi space? Or you're talking yeah, about just robotaxis. Just robotaxis. Like, what is it going to look like when it starts to maybe not fully mature? Because I think there's a lot more growth to happen, but when it actually, you know, gets to a point where it's a commercially available in multiple cities, like super fragmented where each one owns a little piece and there's a lot of competition or is it going to come down to like two players, like the Uber Lyft scenario? Well, I mean, well, think about who's going to deploy it. Like let's fast forward, call it five years, three or four years. So in the US, you've got Waymo, Cruise, Motional. Who else? I mean, we can say, I mean, assuming... Assuming Waymo, no, Cruise, and Motional you, you, all you have enough market. runway, enough runway Mobileye. to survive. Well, all right, so, so all right, so separate Mobileye. The four companies that ha- are modeled on you know owning a stack and the and deploying them on multiple vehicle platforms that they don't build, well, Zooks would be an exception, and are partnered with uh, potentially with a third party uh, or second party, so uh, Uber or Lyft. That's four companies. Why, so, why don't you include Mobileye in there? Because they're going to do RoboTaxis with Zeeker. Well, we haven't. I mean, I'd say, I don't want to say they're behind, except we just don't know how that's going to fall out yet. We haven't seen them on US streets at even the scale that Waymo or Cruiser are deployed. So, okay. Fair. will they? Who knows? 
I mean, we've seen Motional, and they're all you know vying for the same kind of handful of cities. So even if Tesla showed up, why at that point, if the vehicles are out there generating revenue, and assuming that whether or not there's recession will be over by then, I think multiple companies will be out there having raised capital, potentially through another IP, an IPO or just you know more private markets, um, and they'll be out there for many years fighting it out for these urban centers. So you think there'll be like sense. room for? Is is there room for more than two major players in a city to fight it out? Like, oh sure. The question is, are they are they are they going to go into an attritional match in a city like San Francisco, or are they going to be, I think, smart and go for the cities that are easier to deploy in and try to own a bunch of those? This is why I kept coming up with like, the risk board game analogy. It's like you want to own the the critical good pieces of real estate, not necessarily like one strategically difficult one to hold. You don't. I mean. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I think that a lot of the con- the talk about competition is premature to the extent that nobody has really proven that there's money to be made in robotaxis yet. Like, like one company needs to start making money and right. And like, like, I don't know if it's possible to break for, for robotaxis to make money in one market. I don't know what the minimum scale to even start talking about profit are again, as we've discussed on the show, like the companies aren't talking about this. And from an investor perspective, like, these are big. These are big questions, and and I think like what's so interesting about Kathy Wood's bullishness is that like there's no question about the technology, right? You go, all of us have ridden in, in San Francisco and ridden driverfully driverless before, and like this technology is super super real and it's super super impressive, but that doesn't mean that the way the companies are doing it now can be commercially viable at all. And so I, for me, I want to see like one profitable operation before we even start talking about competition. Well, let me throw another wrench in the works. So as we've seen from the events in San Francisco, Waymo and Cruise are different companies operating very differently. And Cruise has created problems for themselves that Waymo has not, or to a much lesser degree. Now, let's suppose even let's suppose just one of these big stack robotaxi companies is deployed in a city. We'll call it San Francisco, call it anywhere. Let's say San Francisco and way more crews aren't there, just one. And Tesla announces robo-taxi capabilities. Just suppose they do. The way they deploy that through the Tesla network would require, since Tesla does not, Tesla does not possess their own operations arm, maintenance arm, or um, you know inventory vehicles, they would be basically dumping vehicles in the street that are owned by individuals. And that is an entirely fresh and unknown policy battle, which will become very complicated and vicious. And so let's imagine that some one or more private individuals decide to spin up taxi fleets, robo-taxi fleets of privately owned Teslas, which is basically what happened around Turo. You had you know, people set up their own fleets um, with their own employees you know, around LAX operating using the Turo platform. So it's very likely something like that would, would emerge around Tesla Robotaxi. Well, that is a whole policy war that hasn't been fought yet. And so that's completely different from what, even, from what Waymo and Cruz are going that? through. Yeah, but do we even need to worry about that scenario? Well, like, if you like, really assuming the technology works, that's going to happen. Yeah, but that's a big assumption. Like so far, Tesla's not proven that it can 
do anything close to a robo taxi. So, but it, it puts a wrench in the in the in the Kathy Wood timeline for sure. Uh, so, if they so announce you, tomorrow, <laughs> then they're just following the footsteps of sure, Waymo okay, Cruz in a battle that hasn't been fought yet. So, I mean, Waymo, uh, Cruz, Motion, all these companies are united in one way, which is they would like to see harmonization of laws <laughs> at a federal mm-hmm. level so that so they can expand. And the lessons learned by one are basically shared by the other, and so is the cost largely in terms of these uh, policy level debates and discussions. Whereas Tesla is has to enter it from a completely like oblique angle and fight that. If they don't fight it, then the companies that assemble third party fleets using Teslas to launch robot taxis on the Tesla network, they'll have to fight it, and they're not nearly as well funded as Waymo or Cruise are. That's a fresh that's a fresh fight, and I can't speculate beyond this conversation what that would look like. What, what's fascinating about this is that, and and it goes to show, I think, like how disconnected sort of analyses of the space are between sort of realists who are, you know, and 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 the people who are willing to sort of play this this hype game. Um, because because Adam Jonas came out with right, like they kind of Morgan Stanley and Adam Jonas had kind of at last uh, sort of. Last we'd heard from them, they'd sort of like started to dial back some of the Tesla hype, and then they came in this this last week and and really dialed it up again, um, arguing for was I don't know just more massive like four hundred dollars more in stock price or something like that. And, yeah, and what's all interesting on the dojo, right? All yeah, all, like basically all under, it's it's just like Kathy Wood. It's all AI hype, basically like trying to argue that Tesla is an AI company and fits into this hype thesis, which again, like to me just shows how unserious the whole thing is. But, but what I think is interesting here is so in the, in the bull and the bear cases that, right. So, so Adam Jonas put out a bull case, a bear case and a, and a, and a base case. And what's interesting is that in the bear case, things like Tesla insurance are valued as zero in the bear case, which I think is completely appropriate. That should be the base case as far as I'm concerned, because Tesla, you know, there's been a lot of talk for years and years and years and Tesla still have some of the highest insurance costs and, and they're like they're the business that they're supposedly building. They've like launched like three different times now. Is is clearly not going anywhere. So so like so like there's some things where he's willing to say like okay like Tesla's not going to like dominate the insurance business like at least in the bear case. But even in the bear case, even in the most the worst case scenario that Adam Jonas can foresee by 2030, Tesla still has a 100,000 vehicle mobility fleet. Doesn't say it's necessarily autonomous or not, but they have a hundred thousand unit fleet with a with a fifteen percent operating margin. Like, like that's that's in the worst scenario that that Adam Jonas can possibly imagine, and in the bull case, a million unit fleet with twenty percent operating margin. Like. <laughs> And like and like you know we've had already Tesla just Tesla's sales of cars have been boosted incredibly by any number and and that's why Alex like I I think it's a funny idea that there would even be companies that would like people would start startups to operate fleets of Teslas like it, it, well that's the dream that's been sold but I don't think that they're going to ever get there the people have actually tried this. There have been a number of, and even like right now, Revel is is doing essentially a version of this. And it's like, we're going to buy Teslas and like like Scott Painter's thing, whatever, it's called autonomy or whatever. And it's basically like, literally like, we're going to buy, it's like the underpants gnomes of the Tesla era, right? We're going to buy a bunch of Teslas and we're going to put them in a fleet. Step one, buy a lot of Teslas. Step two, put them in a fleet. Step three, question mark. And step four is profit, right? And and like the reality is, is that this hasn't worked. And we've seen like these guys, there was a guy in um, a company like this in Holland that, that tried this and they were like, oh, guess what? It turns out these Teslas, which are not designed for fleet duty at all, 
uh, don't make good fleet vehicles. And so like we have, I suspect, we have the data. I Ed, <laughs> relax. I, I, I'm telling you, there's going to be one or two new Tesla models announced in the next three years. And at least one of them will be optimized for this. Oh, I'm sure. But guess what? The last time te- like, like Tesla announced cars four years ago that still aren't out yet. Like, right. and so I, I guess so where's the road? <laughs> the Roadster was announced in 2017. That was five years ago this fall or this winter. What a great event. I really enjoyed seeing it that one time. Um, right, moving on. <laughs> well, okay. So, so back to the Robotaxi thing. Um, and more specifically, um, FAV. So what one thing I want to hear before we go to a couple of other things, what was the talk? Like, you know, we, we've gone through this whole hype cycle. Uh, what's What are people talking about? What are people are excited about? Like, is I, I can it- tell you, FAV was overshadowed. The two big things were Kathy Wood talking, which was great. And Riley is a great interviewer. Um, and the other item was that that very morning, your TechCrunch story, Kirsten, about Stack AV and Brian Seleski. Every for the rest of the day, everyone's like, "Oh well." So Alex, everyone's like, talking. Yeah, I, was say, I, bet, I bet everyone assumed you had all the all the insight. Every, yeah, so they Alex, did. And, so Alex, no, I, so, so tell, I, tell the listeners all your secret inside information. Yeah, I, I don't. Us. I don't. I don't work for Brian, although we do talk frequently. He remains very secretive. Um, I'll give you the scuttlebutt from what other folks said at FAV about it. They were sure. like, oh my God, that how does one raise a billion dollars in this market? What did he say? Yes, I got many texts. I got many texts from from people, some of whom were formerly um, founders or worked at startups themselves. Um, uh, you know, like how the <laughs> probably, hell do you, uh, I, I probably uh, have tried to raise some rounds themselves. The last for sure. Years yeah. I had such a good time. Yeah. I will say when people ask, ask me like why, um, I've remained, you know, friends with Brian, how do I, why I like him so much, why I joined Argo in the first place It's because he is an extraordinarily compelling and direct person. And he's done this twice. Yeah. Well, I'm interested to see what happens. I mean, Aurora, as we mentioned also, I don't think people were expecting Aurora to raise $800 million, um, No. they did. And remember, a year ago, that memo leaked and it was like, seemed pretty doom and gloom for them. Like, we're looking at selling and doing, you know, offloading layoffs. And like, it was this long list of all the things that they might have to do to like get through this tougher period. And then they ended up, you know, nine months later raising that much money um which was also surprising because really a lot of startups have had a very hard time raising money um and not just in avs but you know a, you know from the TechCrunch perspective across like almost every industry particularly high cap x companies like autonomous vehicles um like if you want to build an app or like a SaaS company like you could probably get funding but the hard thing is that these companies are in R&D forever. There may or may not be a business model and then they need to raise more money and then it's hard. So it was surprising to me that the amount, I will say that they wouldn't confirm with me. You know, I spoke to, I interviewed Brian. I also spoke to, you know, SoftBank folks. They would not confirm the amount, but um, <laughs> Bloomberg, Bloomberg reported that out. Um, the interesting thing also that some people might not, realize is SoftBank is 100% like 
been in AVs, but that was a SoftBank vision fund. This is SoftBank group. So oh. same-ish, but a fund. So SoftBank vision fund, uh, well, they invested in Cruise, which GM later bought them out for last year for $2.1 billion. Neuro. Aurora. Neuro. I mean, they aren't, um, uh, they aren't Didi. You know, they're, they're familiar. They're ready to give their money to AVs. So I thought it was interesting that this was the SoftBank group, though, that was giving the money. But it's also, and, and right, assuming that like similar, you know, ultimately like Masasan probably is making, you know, the call or, or whatever, right? Like they're, they're both essentially run at the top of the same, the same guy. Uh, what's interesting is, is that hey, to me, it's fascinating that he's making the, the, the investment because like, not a lot, like how many of it, given he's put a lot of money or, or the funds, Vision Fund in particular has put a lot of money into AV companies. I don't know how much he's got, like clearly, I think like GM blinked and 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 gave them the liquidity. But like, I don't know if if the gain on that was, was that great. It was not like, certainly not like an IPO or some kind of other big exit. Um and and neuro, I don't. I mean, I think that basically it was a goose egg for them. Had to have been. Um, uh, Zooks, I think, was probably basically a goose egg for them. I mean, again, we don't know how much Amazon bought for, but I think it was a pretty good deal. Well, and- at least there's an exit, right? Like, so for SoftBank, um, you but know, exit, GM exits bought- at a loss are like. <laughs> well, right, but like, let <laughs> exits at a loss, but at least a, a stopped loss. I don't think SoftBank lost money in the buy of of. of of cruise by the way but um but think of their existing investments in companies like aurora and neuro like these are still losing right because the avs are not profitable they're not even commercialized really yet so those rounds happen at massive valuations that's the thing about softbank is that that's the blessing and the curse of softbank is that when they come in they invest big and they they ask for big valuations or they, they do it at big valuations which again, like, you know, on paper for founders, a lot of times it's hard to say no to because all of a sudden on paper you're worth a hundred million dollars or whatever. But like that also is one of those things that really makes a lot of things. That it's harder than to then hire people. You don't have as much equity to give to new hire. Like there's all kinds of things that creates all these weird politics. These two classes inside. Like I've spoken to people at some of these companies where SoftBank has come in. It creates sort of two classes of citizens within the company, which creates real morale issues that the, among the rank and file. Like you know what? You know what increases morale? Raising a billion dollars in this environment increases the morale of everybody who gets oh, a job offers no, such no, a company. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. what, what I'm saying is I'm surprised that SoftBank is continuing to make this size of investments in this sector based on their track record so far. On the other hand, SoftBank also just seems to be a sponge for liquidity that has to go somewhere. And so I guess I guess they gotta put yeah, it so, so so the so I asked Brian, you know. Why trucking? Because we've watched a lot of companies struggle in that space. Really, yeah. I mean, Too Simple is no longer running freight in the United States. They um, they are really shifting more of their attention to to Asia for a number of reasons. They've had all this internal internal drama. I mean, they still have quote unquote U.S. operations, but testing development. But like, they're not. They've lost partnerships. They're a bit of a shit show. Um, Waymo has ex- essentially turned all of its attention and resources uh, away from trucking and towards robo taxis, and then there's of course been a number of companies that are no longer that no longer exist. Embark being one of them. So I'm like, why would you go in here? <laughs> this seems like a bad place to go. Um, 
but he was pretty bullish in our conversation. Um, he was very, very much, which isn't surprising, struck a confident tone and was really like, we have the experience and the companies that are left standing, Kodiak and Aurora also have experience and that should tell you something, which was an answer. It wasn't totally got to what I wanted, but um, I, I, I basically I just told him, hey, like I'm looking forward to seeing how this all plays out um, because it's going to take some time before we really know. Like once the hype is settled around the deal, what are they doing? You know, like, and that might take a year or two. You know, what's interesting, and I saw Brian say something about this somewhere. I think he alluded to it in your piece, uh, that the uh, being able to start from scratch now without technical debt, taking advantage of the latest technologies um, kind of might be an advantage. Uh, and I was trying to imagine, I was trying to figure out what he means by that precisely. And I, I haven't remember- seen it. I remember the Aurora guys making a similar argument when they launched. And yeah, like, I mean, this has come up before with, because of the whole Google did all the hard, expensive work, and now we can, you know, that the the industry has aged and matured. I mean, we've heard this before. One thing is true is that you know there are a lot of more companies out there that are you know late stage, um, or let me rephrase that. Um, startups that were never generated real revenue with interesting tech that can't raise can now be acquired. And I think we're seeing a smattering of M&A happening, which we all predicted last year, happening right now. Some known to us, some unknown. Um, you know, Brian's guys required locomation. Uh, and as you pointed out, the CEO of locomation went on now to do some other startup. What is it? Yeah, and autom- autonomous vehicles, um, and uh, but it's but it's around like forklifts and that sort of area. Atlas Robotics, I believe it's called. Yeah, what's interesting to me too is you know Kodiak Robotics. You know we've had um, Don you know on the show as we had him twice now, um, but their last round was in 2021, and they only raised 125 million then. And you know they 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 did get a government you know, or like a military contract, right. For like 50 million, which was sort of framed as a way to kind of keep the doors open while they continue development. But like that really speaks to how hard the, the, the landscape is. And so I, you know, yeah. Like if you're, if you're Brian and Pete and Brett, you know, uh, and you can raise a billion dollars, why wouldn't you on the other hand, like, you kind of wonder too, because again, you know, with autonomous trucking, it's one of those, it's one of the sectors where it's like the promise is there, the the opportunity is there. Like everyone sees how we get to a good, a really good business, but no one's quite done it yet. And so certainly no one's done it, you know, driver out of the vehicle, actually showing that you can save on the labor costs, actually showing that you can, you know, and at a certain point, you know, the, the extent to which this, like, like I'm, I feel to, to go full circle back to our, our earlier conversation about Kathy Wood and whether this is winner take all or winner take most. I agree with Alex that like fundamentally, this is not, there's nothing inherent about this technology or about about the kinds of businesses here that that suggests that they have to be winner take all, except for the one thing which I think over time is becoming more and more of a factor. And again, it's been fascinating over the last couple of years to think about how much all of these companies have talked to us about competition and how it hasn't been a factor at all. Maybe this will be a, mon- a winner-take-all business because, or, or, or like a couple winners take mo- most or all because 
it's just going to be a matter of like spending billions and billions more before we actually get to that point. Well, like, I there's think no- if you would separate, I'm going to pull out my old Argo AI like risk board game article. I'm going to republish it because I had a graphic which showed that autonomy has multiple layers. There's last mile, there's robotaxi, there's private ownership, there's trucking. Different companies may own most like a single company could own most of one of those layers, but to own most of all of them is never going to happen. And I could see that Tesla could, in a midterm scenario, dominate um, some form of autonomy for privately owned vehicles that are not robotaxis and compete with Ford and GM, whereas whereas the robotaxi guys will be fighting amongst themselves and Tesla could be quite weak there, whereas Waymo and Cruise and Motional and maybe Mobileye could be quite strong. Um, Anyway, but we're running out of time. Yes. Well, not only are we running out of time for this, we're actually running out of summer because by the time this airs, it'll be the official start, I think, of fall. So looking ahead to the rest of this year, like, Ed, what do you got any bold predictions for the for the end of the year? What does fall hold for the autonomous vehicle industry? Anything? Oh, man, I'm, I'm about to go on vacation for three weeks. You're asking me for predictions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you can um, sit back and enjoy not worrying about them. Yeah, no, mm. I think I'm going to develop my predictions uh, on a beach in Sicily instead. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any dramatic – I mean, okay, here's my, here's my big prediction is that the Autonicast party at CES will once again be the social event of the autonomous vehicle space uh, for, the, for the next 12-year period. Um. Beyond that, I don't have any predictions right now. I'm sorry. Got it. Alex? Uh, the Stack AV guys will go quiet for 6 to 12 months. And there will be another acquisition in trucking sector. Somebody big will acquire one of the trucking sectors. Yeah, that's that'll be it. interesting. That's it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I do have I, I do have one thing I do have one thing to share before uh, before we go because um, I probably won't have a chance to record before then. But um, I will be at uh, um, the Micro Mobility America conference uh, October eighteenth and uh, I'm sorry October nineteenth and twentieth in uh, Richmond, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's a great conference. Um, obviously focused on micromobility, but I will be uh, moderating a panel with uh, with Waymo sort of about um, their work with cyclists in San Francisco. And I think given all of the controversy around AVs in San, in San Francisco, we've had a lot of conversations on the show about that. I'm really excited about that conversation because I think like there's a lot more room for common ground uh, than people realize. And I think that in a place like San Francisco, where this has been such a flashpoint and so like such a heated thing, I'm really excited to try and build some of that common ground. So if that's something that's interesting to you, come, come, the conference should be really good. And um, I think it'll be a really good conversation. So if you can make it, that's, that's my one, my one plug. Kirsten, do you have a prediction before the show ends? Um, I don't have any acquisition, but I do expect to see more headaches in some of the like AV trucking sector, maybe for too simple. Um, They just filed their fourth quarter 2022 earnings. It's, September. So that was nine months ago. Um, and I expect more activity in China on the road taxi front. Definitely seeing a lot more there. So that's it. Thanks to Alex and Ed for joining me. And then thanks to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atomicast. <laughs>